Welcome to Culture Club. You're listening to Media Slashies, Maggie and Jasmine, and this is our weekly chat on pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We would like to acknowledge that the Wurundjeri, Turrbal, and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So today's episode of Culture Club is a little bit different from our typical news spiels and recommendations. We thought we would dedicate a whole episode to our wonderful chat with Emma Edwards. So Emma Edwards is the woman behind finance, Instagram and blog, The Broke Generation. Emma is a trailblazer in educating young people on finance and money and does so without telling you to sacrifice your smashed avo. With useful tips and funny reels, Emma is engaging with a whole new generation and empowering them to take control of their money. Welcome, Emma, and thanks so much for joining us. First things first, can you please tell us a bit about yourself and your background in finance? Yes. So I'm Emma. I run The Broke Generation on Instagram and it's also a blog. Um, In terms of background in finance, I don't really have a massive one aside from a slight affinity with maths and like accounting and business at uni. Um, But that's kind of it really. I um, It sort of came to be because I was really, really terrible with money up until I was about 25. um, And I kind of wasted all my money on things I just didn't need and then realized like, oh my God, i there's no years left like I just kept thinking there was more time (laughs) and then I ran out of years and wanted to adult and couldn't um and so I kind of realized on my journey to sorting out my finances and buying property and stuff that the info is just not accessible so I decided to make it accessible. I love that and um I think anyone who follows you gets that vibe as well you know you're kind of not like other finance pages I feel like your content is very inclusive and understanding of circumstances so I want to ask how does intersectionality and class interact with your work yeah it's an interesting one and probably to be honest one I didn't consciously think of when I started it um it's definitely I mean I think having a platform makes you a better person like it just makes you really aware of your kind of responsibility so it's definitely something that I've kind of on both ends of the spectrum, I kind of didn't necessarily realise the certain privileges that some people do have. And then, I mean, as a lot of people, you are sometimes a little bit blind to inequalities that other people experience. So it's definitely given me a really rounded view and it's really changed my perspective and helped me change other people's perspective. Um, I sort of grew up in a bit of a rocky, sort of not super privileged, but okay. But then some shit happened and then we ended up in a bit of a bad place and that kind of um I think that does give me quite um uh a rounded view I suppose of sort of going from being a dual income family to my dad leaving being with a single parent my mum obviously did like you know underpaid female jobs (laughs) that um lots of people's mums do um so that kind of taught me quite a lot about that and my mum also got me redundant a number of times because of the industry she was in um and that kind of really gave me a a really strong awareness of how quickly things can go south even if you're doing okay um so that's kind of something I really try and communicate that your um situation is not static so even if you think you're doing okay and you think you're middle class or or upper or whatever um you know anything can happen to anybody there's it really doesn't discriminate so um that's kind of something that's pretty important um I was watching you talk on your stories yesterday and you were literally just talking about the lipstick you wear but you also brought in how Tom Ford oh maybe a bit problematic and may have racist 
problems associated with them. So I love that you actually consider race as a big part of this. Was this like when did this kind of come into the picture? I know a lot of people became more like cognizant of this throughout this year's Black Lives Matter. I was just wondering how did this apply to you? Yeah, so again, I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to kind of pump up my own tires and be like, it was always a part of my content. Um, It was definitely something that became more prominent around June when the peak of the Black Lives Matter happened. Um, I have always tried to be aware, um, but I don't think that, um, I think for a lot of people can probably relate that it wasn't, you maybe weren't doing enough. um, And that was the sort of like, not being racist isn't enough. You need to be actively anti-racist and actively more inclusive. So um, I did quite a lot of research around the racial pay gap in a number of countries and kind of what that looks like in like a literal and a and a more nuanced sense. Um, and that, yeah, that was really quite eye-opening um, to me, particularly in a financial sense, just kind of like lending discriminations and that kind of thing. Like it just means you're just pushed so much further down and it's so much harder to climb up and up and up, um, particularly in um, in certain countries more than others. But it's definitely something that happens everywhere. I think a lot of people think Australia gets away with it for some reason, but we absolutely don't. Um, so, yeah, that was a really interesting one for me. Yeah, I feel like that's so important to talk about those invisible pillars of privilege that a lot of us have, especially in Australia and when you're talking about money, it's just not as simple as like, stop buying coffee or, um, you know, buy cheaper, whatever. Like there's so much that goes into it. And I think your content is really good at like that holistic view of money. So obviously we have like um, a younger demographic, Maggie and I are in our twenties. Um, and just, I feel like I'm just starting to get my head around like this whole finance world just so what are some of your like essential tips for younger people that we can start implementing now to secure our financial future yeah so I'm very nearly 30 so um, I'm definitely kind of that next stage along but the one thing that you guys will have and your audience will have on your side is time so like I was saying in the beginning I like got to 25 and kind of realized that like oh where's that where's that bit where I'm supposed to earn more money um so I think particularly in Australia I mean again there's a privileged caveat to this and it doesn't apply to everybody but I grew up in the UK and I moved up home at 18 and I was paying rent from a really young age whereas in Australia a lot of young people will have the opportunity to live with their parents because unis are closer and you know there's sort of more um a slightly broader access to jobs and stuff in um in cities and sort of within the surrounding areas so if you are living with your parents um I think that again there's this narrative that you'll earn more when you get older and you can save more when you get older and you've got all these years to learn all these things and the earlier you start the the so much better you'll be because there's the benefit of compounding over time whether that's investment returns or interest rates or whatever it is or even just moving that surplus of income from when you're younger and you're living at home and you've got less responsibilities even if you are paying rent you have less responsibilities generally in your early 20s than in your late 20s and so on and so on so um i think just starting with anything so a really big mistake that i made um even though i didn't have a super big gap between my income and my expenses but I just thought that oh, I've only really got about $20, $20 or £20 pounds spare a week. It's just not worth it. But if I had put that $20 every week for like the first four years of my 20s, you just have that leg up. Um, and like things like the housing market are just getting so much harder to get into. It's taking people years and years and years to save money. Um, so I really think that the earlier you can just kind of bring an awareness to your finances and think ahead 
um, it makes such a difference. I feel like that kind of links to budgeting as well. So it's kind of a scary word. I don't know why I'm a little bit um, put off by it sometimes, but I love the way that you kind of uh, reframe it from something that's um, come from a deficit mindset, but one that kind of champions saving. So can you talk about this a little bit more? Yeah. So again, I always really hated budgeting. I thought it was really restrictive and like, I'm not going to be able to have any fun. Um, but I think that budgeting for fun is is okay. And it's completely doable. And it kind of, all a budget really is, or what, you know, some people call it a spending plan or a um, spending strategy. All it really is, is just telling your money where to go and paying yourself first. So if you're a super analytical person and you like to be really granular you might want to go down like a, a lot of people do the bear investor route where you've got like the buckets for every single thing and you budget your groceries and your your alcohol money and your socializing money and all this kind of thing um i take a more intuitive approach so i my money comes in i pay myself and i pay my bills so by pay myself i mean savings or investments and then the rest i kind of i've kind of got into this rhythm of i know what i can reasonably buy i know the things that are accessible to me on my income uh, and on my sort of gap between income and expenses and the things that aren't so I don't choose to budget really rigorously because I'm the type of person that if I've got $50 for Uber Eats I'll spend $50 on Uber Eats just because it's there I'll become like oh I've got to you know get to my budget because that's just my personality type so I think finding a strategy that works for your personality type, if you're not that type of person, and maybe if you've got $50 there, you won't spend it, then that type of granular um, approach might work really well for you. Um, it's really kind of testing out a few things because I tried the granular thing and it was good for sort of understanding the basics. Um, but in terms of a long term, it's like it's like healthy eating, right? I don't like to tie it back to food that much, but it's kind of like you know, you you learn different things and then you work out a way that allows you to live a healthy and a well and a fit life without constantly looking at it. So I kind of do the same with money. I kind of get in, I've got myself into a groove and I recommend that everybody tries to get into a groove of where you know um, what types of, what your sort of triggers are, what types of habit spends you have and how you can actually make that work without having to track every single penny all the time because it makes you really obsessive and it's just, that's when it kind of feels gross. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely that second one as well. Intuitive. <laughs> I got to try my hardest to be the first one. But it's so true that, um, yeah, everyone has different personality types and different needs. So, of course, like everyone's financial um, knowledge, I guess, is going to be different and the way they do things. Um, so I think that's important to have that sustainability, not just like in your diet or whatever it is but also in your money but a lot of people feel a lot of guilt and shame around money there's a lot of anxiety tied to it in our society so can you explain why this is and if you have any advice around that yeah so I've talked a few times about this sort of shame avoidance cycle so when you sort of I think there's a lot of um, culture around you know not looking at your bank account and there's memes about you know oh when you haven't looked at your bank account for like three days um, and that used to be something that I would do. I would like avoid looking at my bank account and then I would look and be like, oh, there's probably about 150 and they'll be like seven bucks. And I'd be like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what did I do? Um, so then that shame, you associate looking at your bank account or um, you know, facing up to your money with this shame. So you avoid it, but then you just end up going around the cycle again because then you've avoided it. You start, you know, it's okay for a couple of days because you're like, oh, you know, it's fine. I don't need to worry about it. It'll be okay. Um, and then you just go around the cycle again because you're burying your head in the sand. You look it's not what you want to see. So you do the same thing again. Um, so I think that, I mean, 
as much as when you get into a rhythm with budgeting and saving and sort of you if you are in debt once you get out of debt and that kind of thing it can be quite uh not to sound too woo woo but quite like an abundant activity because you know you've kind of got your ducks in a row but I think that doing that work if you are in a um sort of a spending cycle or um in, in an avoidance cycle or if you are in debt um it's not going to be comfortable um and I think that that's something I try and communicate in my content as well that it is okay for it to be a bit hard or very hard because I think sometimes it can be very the male narrative is very you know just sort your stuff out and you know stop buying this and invest in the S&P 500 and you'll be fine and it's kind of like whoa, whoa, whoa like we've got other work to do first um that can be quite difficult and it's really quite an for me it's an awareness thing um and once you're aware of what the issue is whether that is a spending cycle whether it is a debt um whether it is you know maybe you're ignoring something else that's going on it could be you know tied to mental health or something like that um really getting aware of where you are at not only in terms of net worth or what's in your bank account but in terms of why that is so why does your bank account look like that have you got not very much in savings because you're really not earning a lot and you're really in a bad place and you need some support? Or are you leaking money in loads of other areas of your life? Or are you addicted to shopping? Like it seems really kind of silly to say, but it is an addiction. We're just poked with these things to buy all the time. And is there something going on there? Or are you tying a lot of your um, financial worth to your self-worth? You know, are you having body image issues are you plugging plugging a load of money into gyms this was a period of my life I had in 2016 I was spending far more than I can afford on like f45 and virgin active and all this stuff that I just thought was going to fix me and it just wasn't so it wasn't really about the money there was other stuff going on that I needed to address before I could deal with the numbers I'm so curious about that because I think money is so often like tied with our values and other things going on behind the scenes um how do you I guess propose, okay, so let's say someone has kind of looked at their spending habits and kind of related it to one of those issues. How do they move forward from that? I know that is a very broad question and it differs for everybody, but like what's the next step, I guess? Yeah, so obviously it's a really nuanced issue and it really depends on, you know, what that issue is, but I can kind of use my experience as an example. So Mm -hmm. I've, I would spend, so my, what my trigger was, was feeling bad about myself. So I'd feel bad about myself. And then the resulting behavior was I would either buy clothes to feel, you know, pretty or thin or what like somebody else or whatever it is. Um, and so that was like my cycle or it would be the F45 or the gym. You know, there would be the, the trigger would be feeling bad and the resulting behavior would be spending on one of those two things or, you know, goji berries or some bullshit that I thought was just going to, you know, make my metabolism instantly amazing. Um, so I think trying to think about it like that so if you are looking at your numbers and you're thinking okay there's something else going on here address the issue and then work through that trigger and resulting behavior type process and then from there you can either put in try and put in place anyway um boundaries or and or counteracting behaviors so like my boundary and I still do it now because I love clothes love 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 clothes (laughs) so I can't let myself buy clothes when I see them because my mind I have a wild imagination I will just see like a pair of pants and I can honestly believe I can tell myself that they will change my life they will fix everything they'll stop me sweating they'll be so comfortable they'll make I'll, I'll enjoy work if I buy these pants like all this stuff that I'll tell myself 
I have to put a 24, 48-hour rule in place so that I can get into my rational mind and be like, they're just pants, and I like let it go. They're <laughs> pants, and I'll probably see 18 <laughs> other pairs of pants that I kind of realize that you know my life will not end if I don't get these pants. Um, and fast fashion really plays into that too because there's that like um, in some stores, you know, when they move the stuff around and you actually think I've got to get it because I won't find it again. Like in Zara, I used to mm. shop in Zara a lot. I don't anymore, but um, that was a real thing for me. That kind of scarcity. I've got to get it now because otherwise this opportunity <laughs> will go away. Um, so there's a boundary. There's also like a counteracting behaviour. So I found while I was in um, lockdown, I would sort of pass the time by browsing stuff online. <laughs> Who didn't? Um, so to stop myself from doing that, I mean the browsing's fine, but if you're adding to cart, that's when you know things start to go wrong. Um, so I get in the bath <laughs> when I'm finding myself browsing and want to buy stuff. I'm like, just get in the bath because I can't shop there <laughs> because you know, I'm wet. Um, and <laughs> I just find I it love this. <laughs> it's always in the evening that I'm doing it, and it seems mm. really silly and it seems really like you know put something in place, but. It doesn't have to be that because that won't work for everybody, but it might be, I don't know, it sounds like a really trivial tip, but going for a walk, like just get yourself away from whatever the trigger is um, mm. to get you so that you're not in that kind of amped up, um, excited state that's going to compel you to want to get that hit. It seems really methodical and it's actually a lot more intuitive than that, but that's sort of how I've broken down what I did and what I do now. So this year I've really found that a lot of my behaviors and spending behaviors are really mirroring that that time when I was bad with money and I'm like what's going on here so I really had to go back to that um awareness of what's going on and why it's happening and try and put those boundaries back in place because we're getting a few too many parcels arriving at my house at the moment (laughs) so I'm really trying to rein that in um and looking at it that way helps me yeah, I feel like that's been all of us this year as well. It's such a coping mechanism. But it reminded me of the post you made um, around Black Friday a few weeks ago, the mindful versus mindless purchasing. And like our society, it's so normalized to just shop every day at the moment. And like the new Instagram feature, like it's oh. actually crazy how much we are shown every day. And like, yeah. I think that's a really good um, skill to be able to remove yourself from the situation. Because it is that like drastic, you know, when you're sold things all the time. Yeah. And even, you know, I was finding that even following um, my favorite content creators, like you just can't stop seeing stuff that you could possibly want. Even if you can't buy that one thing, you could buy something very similar like it. So even sort of before COVID, another, um, I just thought of another boundary I put in place. But I used to, um, because I live very near Chadston. I would just go and wander around Chasden just for fun, thinking, oh, you know, I don't buy anything. But what that gave me was an awareness of everything that was in the stores all the time. So I would then go and be like, oh, there's something new in, and I would want to go and discover it. And I found out that actually cutting myself off and not having that awareness of what was possible to buy really helped me stop wanting stuff. Because when you know that things are available to you, you kind of obsess over them and start to want them. Um, so kind of reining it back in and blocking that awareness I mean I don't ever want people to unfollow content creators because they're following is their product but whether that's muting them or not scrolling at all or whatever it is anything that's like bringing up that awareness of what you can spend on um is pretty important for me anyway that's actually exactly what I did when I was trying to cut down on my fast fashion I didn't let myself walk into the stores because yeah. I would 
you know, just be tempted straight away. I unsubscribe from mailing lists and I unfollowed brands from social media, but they're just so sneaky. Like Jazz and I were talking like this year's Black Friday. They somehow have all our phone numbers and they were texting us and it becomes so much more intrusive. Ugh. Yeah, it's really, I don't like this texting thing. I don't know where this has come from. I don't no. know who thought SMS was a good idea because it just doesn't <laughs> work for me. It's just so shouty and capitals. And I'm like, Ugh, leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like text messages are really personal now these days because everything else is on social media. So when someone texts you like, you know, like, oh, it's going to be a close yeah. friend or my mom. And then it's like this brand. I kind of want to go back to a point you made before about gender in finance. So like you were saying men in finance are very like, just invest in this thing and you'll earn heaps of money. What's it like being a woman in finance and also using like reels and social media to have that um, presence? Yeah, um, I <laughs> I think my echo chamber is very female and I haven't, you know, I don't really engage with that many of the men that have, have social media presence or any sort of, I, I guess, media presence really. Um, I found that for me, they are quite polar opposite. Like there are a lot of women in the finance space now and I'm quite connected in to them in that way. So I feel like that I'm in company that's very similar to me in, in from a gender perspective. But I know that, yeah, I do see some sort of some stuff going on. It's, it's interesting. It's very, um, especially as well, I'm sort of removed in that way as well, that I'm not an advisor or a financial planner or an accountant or anything like that. Um, so that's kind of another sort of part that separates me, I suppose. But I don't know, it's a weird one. The tone of the content's definitely different. But I think that the aims are just so the, the aim of of either a male creating finance content or a female is is so different and I wouldn't want um I'm all obviously for women taking up more of the space to make it more equal but I mean not all men are just born finance genii so um it's good for them to learn as well like my boyfriend knows a bit but I probably in some cases know more than he does now so I don't want to kind of take that away from from um younger men as well because it's also a generational thing that you know it's not something that we necessarily grow up with um anymore but I think the um there is a lot of a lot of men I have spoken to have actually said that they are not stepping back but at really trying to open the floor for women to um to speak to other women about it. A guy I spoke to actually he runs sort of a um investing app and he was like I love what you're doing because I know that nobody else needs to hear me say it and I kind of really appreciated that because I was like, oh, mm. that's good. Because he's like, nice. I'm an Australian guy in my late 30s. Like, they don't need to hear it from me. It's better that they hear it from people like you. So I think that, I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but I think there really is an appetite for, even from the male perspective, for there to be more space for women too. Mm. That's what I've experienced anyway. But I mean, again, that is sort of my <laughs> my sphere, which is obviously quite aligned mm. with me. But yeah, I do think there are positives in there as well. Another thing that pops into my mind is that I feel like there's been a real trend for banks and supers kind of pegging themselves as being like ethical and there's a there's a real um I guess desire for consumers to kind of go into that direction. Can you talk to me about this? Is this greenwashing? Is this legit? Like should we be careful about what people are saying? Yeah, it's a really difficult one and again yeah. there's that sort of you know, what is ethical? Is any of it really ethical? Um, mm. Even with sort of ethical investing, it's kind of like the criteria for what makes an ethical investment don't necessarily tick the boxes for what you might consider ethical as an individual. Um, I think that 
the industry is moving that way is really good. Um, sort of, I know there was this discussion around, um, you know, responsible lending and um, afterpay and that kind of thing about regulating them and that sort of thing. It's difficult. It, it can be greenwashing um, and it can be sort of a bit um, lip service. But mm. I think I think we're at this point where we're opening this narrative for financial institutions to be more ethical and consumers are now making these decisions that are actually going to force them to be ethical because there are far more ethical players coming into the market so that people are actually choosing to go with them, um, whether it's, the you know, as far as it needs to go, not necessarily, but it's sort of that, that sliding scale. You can move to a more ethical option and then that may evolve into more in the future. Um, I think banking and stuff is so so far up against one end that any kind of movement towards the more ethical end is better. I personally don't feel like there's necessarily something that's going to align with all of your values. Um, but what one says is ethical and another says is ethical, one may align with you more. Um, everybody's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, got those top things that they really care about. So I think bringing in your own values into your financial decisions is really important as well. Is there anything that we can actually use to check this? Because I've used market forces in the past, which kind of give a rundown of like what your super or your bank is doing. Um, any other advice? I would probably say, um, I mean, comparison things are great as well, but I would probably say actually research the individual super funds directly and actually look at what they're investing in because quite often it will sort of might be a rating or whatever like the ESG ratings mm. and that kind of thing but again everyone's got different criteria and whether that you know you might go in and for example Apple is in a lot of um, is in a lot of ethical portfolios because it meets certain criteria but it may not necessarily align with what you want so I think it really is about going to each looking at each individual reading the PDS calling up and asking questions if you if you if you have specific questions or even speaking to an advisor if you have really um if you really do want to make that that big leap um there are advisors that can write you like a one-off statement of advice about it um which is interesting as well but no I think um rather than relying on sort of blanket statements actually getting in there and seeing what those companies actually are um and Mm. what criteria they're using is probably going to tell you a bit more we're about to obviously head into Christmas a new year it's all wrapping up so this year has been tough for a lot of people, the global pandemic. So what advice do you have for people whose financial situations are unstable at the moment? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of people, is, even if you're still working, there are still a lot of uncertainties, what's going to happen to industries, that kind of thing. Um, I, first of all, be really kind to yourself. It's not, it's been a really difficult year. And there's so many kind of uncertainties still in the air that may continue for several years. And it's not anything that you've done um it's i mean even if even if you're working and you're feeling bad because you spent all your money on stuff like it's just really this year is just like a write-off um i would say break down where you are at so actually get clear on what where you are at if you've spent all your savings and you're at zero okay let's look at that how can you start to build back up if you've dipped into your savings and you're feeling a bit like oh i'm i'm not in a not in the same place i was last year but you're not quite sure how much is scaled back, kind of get really clear on where you're actually at and then what the next year could or maybe would look like for you. Um, and then, I mean, it's it's definitely you need to do it when it's the right time for you. But I really think moving forward and I hope what everybody learns from this year is um, sort of thinking about how can you protect from future impacts. So 
like I said, my mum was made redundant a number of times when I was younger. So redundancy is really, no, it's always been something I've been not worried about, but aware of, you know, what would I do if I got made redundant? It's kind of why I've always been a bit of a side hustler because I want to have something I can pick up if I suddenly can't go back into work tomorrow. Um, Whereas for a lot of people, like around the start of the pandemic, I saw people not knowing what the word actually meant. So I really kind of, something I want to focus on as well is really educating on how you can really build up not just an emergency fund in terms of money, but in terms of like setting yourself up for um, the opportunities to bring in money from elsewhere. So it doesn't need to be starting a business or having a side hustle, but just sort of actually thinking in your brain, you know, checking in regularly, maybe once a year, what would I do if tomorrow my job didn't exist? You know, what do you do? Do you work in something you can freelance? Would you walk down to your local Woolies and stack shelves? Like what would be viable for you? Um, I think it can just take the pressure off because if you've got that plan, I think for a lot of people, it was just a complete shock and you're never going to be ready for that. But if you sort of thought, okay, well, these are my bills. And if I could get three days a week in a minimum wage job, that will pay my rent. And then I could do da 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 da. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, none of it's guaranteed that you'll get that job, but just sort of having, you know, that plan of what you would do and what will be viable. Um, Another thing that I sort of did when I was working in a restaurant when I was younger I moved to London to get a job and I had a job that I was hopefully going to start and it all fell apart and I was just waitressing um, on a casual zero hours contract and I was really stressing out and I really didn't have much coming in it was really uncertain so I guess in a way that kind of mirrors um, what I did then so I had rent to pay in central London it was crazy but I did sort of a cost plus approach so because my hours were rocky um, I used to do like um market research focus groups and anything I could get my hands on and I would just you know always be looking for other options to bring in money this was years ago before you know the internet was even really a thing but um what sort of worked for me was working out what that base amount that you need to pay your bills each week or month is really striving to earn that and having that as just all I need is this much and then I'm done and then anything else on top of that is what I can kind of strive for to have a living it's a really horrible way to live and I don't wish it on anybody but that really helped me rather than kind of thinking, oh, God, I was earning a thousand dollars a month, a thousand dollars a week before. And now I'm only earning 50. How am I going to get back to that? Just work out how much do you need to pay your immediate expenses? It will feel so much less. Don't worry about the space. And then anything on top of that, you can make decisions if it if it comes to you. Um yeah, that's probably my advice. <laughs> yeah, it's very good advice. And sadly, something that in this capitalist society we have to be aware of but going back to your first point I loved a post you made the other day I have ordered like three things online this week and I was starting to feel a bit of that guilt settle in and you posted something like even if you spend a thousand dollars on shopping this year that's like two percent of your income or whatever and I was like oh my god you're so right like it's been a crappy year. I want these. I've thought about these things. Mindless consumption, uh, mindful, sorry, consumption. And um, yeah, so I think that's such a good way to make spending and budgeting compatible with your lifestyle rather than some of the other, um, you know, financial influences or whatever who are just like, save every penny. Rah, rah, rah. So yeah. thank you for that. I just want to say thanks. <laughs> some of my guilt go away (laughs) (laughs) that is always my aim I never want anybody to feel guilty because I've done all of the things and worse so (laughs) I totally get it (laughs) on a high note is there anything exciting happening next year we also hear that you're running something in January 
I am. So I haven't announced it publicly yet, but I will do in the next couple of weeks. I'm running a 31 day email Kickstarter challenge, I suppose. So every every day of January, um, if you sign up, you get an email and sort of a worksheet some days of some strategy and mindset tasks to kind of keep you on track for that first chunk of 2021. Because uh, January, I feel like, well, the first week of January is great. We're really healthy, we're really fit, we're saving all our money, and then it just all falls apart. Um, so it is um, yeah, launching very soon. And it's, uh, yeah, it will get you through January on a financial high, hopefully, and kind of work through a load of tasks to keep you on track for a really, hopefully, great year financially. That sounds so good. I want to sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> if people don't know where can they find you you can find me on instagram at the dot broke generation and on my blog www.thebrokegeneration.com amazing well thank you so much for your time today emma thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to chat awesome thank you again bye see ya bye <laughs>